You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. If you got stuck watching a backup quarterback yesterday, you weren't alone and you certainly uh, weren't warned or can't say you weren't warned because we know the quarterbacks go down all the time. And then you add in this extra regular season game, and that means more backup quarterbacks. Tyler Huntley, come on down, did an admirable job filling in for Lamar Jackson. Ravens still lost to the Browns. Kyle Allen in Washington, almost let a comeback, came up short against Dallas. The Giants, Mike Glennon, the Panthers, Cam Newton, the Texans, Davis Mills, all lose. Can't wait to week 18 on January 9th. Once teams are out of the playoff picture, going to be even quicker to pull the starter. And all of this is a not-so-subtle reminder of why teams might want to invest in a quality backup quarterback. It's hard enough to win with your starter, hard enough to keep him healthy. Putting in the backup quarterback is a challenge very few teams are able to overcome. When you start to look at some of the surprises yesterday, or were they surprises yesterday, don't look now, but the Chiefs actually have a formidable defense. Dallas, a formidable defense. Packers look great. Jacksonville, a mess. The Ravens, in trouble. Buccaneers, still good. And then if you believe in moral victories, you got one if you're a Buffalo Bills fan. Now, when you start to think of moral victories, moral victories is usually when your team is not very good. When you're supposed to be a Super Bowl contender, that's not a moral victory. Oh, they came back. They showed guts. They played hard. Yeah, they're supposed to be really good. You know, the Lions get moral victories, or Jacksonville gets a moral victory. Buffalo doesn't get a moral victory. That doesn't get you into the playoffs. But watching yesterday, Tampa Bay looked awesome in the first half. Buffalo did come back, certainly made it interesting going into overtime. And then Tom Brady with the game-winning touchdown, and he had this to say. Yeah, I was, I was trying to think. Have I, has that ever happened before? That's right. That was in Miami, too. So, yeah, that was a um, – it was it was pretty uh, – but it was very cool. It was very cool. I'd much rather not have it come down to that. But in the end, they all count the same, you know. And uh, we got to learn from it, and we got to move on. And, and obviously, we're playing for, you know, a, a division championship next week, which is pretty exciting for all of us. Yeah, game-winning touchdown pass is a second overtime touchdown pass. Here's Josh Allen, the Bills quarterback. Every game is a different situation. Sometimes you practice one thing and they can they show something completely different. But yeah, it's something obviously we want to work on. We want to be be ready to go right off the right off the rip and have fast starts. Again, yeah, it just wasn't in our favor tonight. Buffalo seven and six. You know when you start to think about okay, are they a Super Bowl team? I didn't think so to start the year because I thought they were too self reliant on Josh Allen. The defense is a defense that is fast but can be manhandled. And they've been overpowered by teams. The last couple of weeks, we've seen that. New England did it. Tampa did that. Titans. And they've lost to the quality teams here. Here's their head coach, Sean McDermott. Look, I know we came up short, right? Incredible amount of heart and guts that they show this team, Josh included, right? But all of them, all of them. Again, we came up short, and they made one more play than we did. And But I love how the team fought. Yeah, they're supposed to fight. You get paid to fight. You're a playoff team. Or are you? Five teams in the AFC are seven and six. Five teams in the NFC are six and seven. 24 of the 32 teams in the NFL have at least six wins, and they're still in the playoff race. This is parody. This is what the NFL loves because every fan base still has hope. McLevin, what do you have? 
Okay, let's start in the NFC. Who do you got, the Bucks or the Field? Well, I'm taking the Packers. Well, okay, no, it's more for the audience. You think that they would take oh. the Bucks or the Field now after yesterday's game? Um, you know, it still comes down to you don't bet against Belichick and you don't bet against Brady. Mm. You know, so I would say. The audience, well, no, they may. They may look at this and go, Green Bay and Dallas look like they're actually legitimate. I don't know if Arizona is. you got a big game coming up tonight with the Rams at the Cardinals. But it just feels like this is about home field advantage because you didn't have the crowds last year. You didn't have a true home field advantage. Now, Green Bay lost to Tampa in Green Bay. It was unseasonably warm and you had no ambiance there. Is it different this year? I believe so. But that one team in the NFC, one team in the AFC, getting home field advantage is going to be imperative. Um, you start to handicap, you know, what's going to happen the rest of the year. Uh, you're looking at Green Bay. They're at Baltimore. You don't know if you're going to face Lamar Jackson. You host Cleveland. You host Minnesota. And then you're at Detroit. Here's the only thing I'd be concerned about. If I'm a Packer fan, at what point do you rest Aaron Rodgers to get him ready for the playoffs? Because of that toe situation. Now you bring in Jordan Love. When do you bring in Jordan Love? Because if you're Aaron Rodgers, we don't know if this is his last year in Green Bay, but this might be his best chance to win a Super Bowl. Now what do you do? How important is home field for you? And is that enough to jeopardize Aaron Rodgers and that toe? At Baltimore, host Cleveland, host Minnesota. Maybe there's a chance that you'll have things wrapped up that the game at Detroit, Jordan Love could play. But that would be something I'd keep an eye on is, am I, am I going to play Aaron Rodgers? As Rodgers said prior to last night's game, hey, if, if I get hurt or it gets banged up more, then surgery is in play. And I think that's where you're going to run the risk here of what the Packers do these last four games. Yeah, McLovin. I noticed last night they are a different running team now with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. Yeah. That wasn't really there against the Bucs uh, last year, was no. it? No. And, and when you see that, when, when you take away a team's heart, you know, when you run the ball, they know you're going to run the ball, and it just, it's debilitating. It just, it's defeating in more ways than one. And when you have that ability to be able to do that, that's why when we have all these crazy passing numbers, these teams that can run the football and, and let you know they're going to run the football. You know, Leonard Fournette running the football. I mean, that's a valuable weapon for Tom Brady to have. And Derrick Henry's probably going to be back for the postseason with the Titans. You know, that's just really important for these teams, having a balanced offense. And Green Bay... They're far more dangerous when you have those running backs running well, and it just makes Aaron Rodgers that much greater. And he looked, you know, he was Aaron Rodgers last night. It always helps playing the Bears. Hey, It does. Like, I, I had a weird feeling to start that game that I thought, you know, the Bears may win this game. And then they jump out, and I go, all right. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, all right. Aaron Rodgers still owns the Chicago Bears. Yes, Paul. As a Bears fan, the only thing worse than being down to the Packers at halftime is being up on the <laughs> Packers at halftime because it's false hope going into the second half. I should have gone to bed at halftime and just pretended the second half didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, you know it would be great if Aaron Rodgers would show up at the NFL owners' meetings? 
representing the Chicago Bears? Like if he just went in there and go, what, what are you doing here? Um, I, I own the Bears. Oh, well, no, no, no. The McCaskies own the Bears. No, no, no. I am a co-owner of the Chicago Bears. Yes, McLovin. There's a pretty high tax rate in Illinois. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he has to pay uh, for it. But Paulie has a typical, very cynical, dark poll question on the Packers. Oh. I will let him share. Now I do have the Super Bowl uh, updated odds here. Buccaneers are the favorites. Then the uh, Packers, the Cardinals. No, this can't be right. No, it's the go. Uh, it's the Chiefs oh. are second at plus five fifty. Then the Packers are plus six fifty. So okay. it's Bucks, Chiefs, Packers. Why don't they go in order that way instead of across and then across? <laughs> what are you doing, Vegas? So Buccaneers, then the Chiefs, then the Packers, then the Patriots, Cardinals, Rams, Bills, Cowboys. After that, you got Titans and the Chargers, Colts and the Ravens. All right. So Buccaneers, Chiefs, then Packers, Patriots. All right. Patriots. Yeah. I don't know if I would have the Patriots up that high. But it just feels like, you know, this is about the NFC. If you got the Buccaneers, the Packers, you have the Rams, you have the Cardinals, you have the Cowboys. So there are a lot of good teams in the NFC. In the AFC, not as much. You got the Chiefs and you got the Patriots. You can throw in Buffalo, but I just, I, I don't have any confidence in Buffalo. The Chargers, I don't have confidence. That's a big win, though, to go and beat Cincinnati. That was, that was, and Justin Herbert, he had a throw yesterday that, for those of you who never saw John Elway playing, he had a throw that would be John Elway-esque. He had a throw yesterday against the Bengals that I'm going to say Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes are the only two quarterbacks, the other quarterbacks in the NFL who could make that throw. It was spectacular. And Justin Herbert is putting up these crazy numbers. And, you know, he's thrown for 30 touchdowns now in his first two seasons. That's never happened with a quarterback. And he's, you know, 23 years of age. Three touchdowns yesterday. He's the second youngest player in NFL history to reach 60 career touchdown passes. The only person who was better, younger, was Dan Marino. And 30 touchdown passes on the season. First player in history to go back-to-back with that honor. Stat of the day, stat of the day, stat of the day, stat of the day. Here comes that what stat of the day. Defensive player of the year. The uh, odds are out. Miles Garrett is the favorite, along with T.J. Watt, co-favorites. Then it's Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs. Uh, Matthew Judon is in there. Aaron Donald is in there. Man, I would. Micah Parsons is putting up some crazy numbers. You know, Trayvon Diggs was wonderful. You know, when you get 10 interceptions, but then they don't throw your way. Like, that's what you do to a defensive back. You're like, uh, we're going to revis you. We're not throwing your direction. TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, they can move wherever they want to. You got to find them sometimes. But Micah Parsons. I, you know, Paulie went back and looked at the uh, draft profile, you know, all the reports on Micah Parsons. And a lot of people thought that, well, Dallas doesn't need a linebacker. Dallas wanted to draft a defensive back. And I thought it might have been uh, Patrick Sertan or uh, J.C. Horn. 
Those were the two. I think they were going to draft one of those two. Patrick Sertan, I was told, if he's there, then Dallas has taken him. And if not, then Dallas was going to take Micah Parsons. And I was told Micah Parsons is the best defensive athlete in the draft. And, you know, keep in mind that, you know, at that pick, he's a top five pick. But there were concerns about him off the field, character issues. But as far as athleticism, this is, this is where you make mistakes when you, you profile somebody and you say, all right, he's a linebacker. He is Junior Seau. He is Troy Palomalu. You could even say Clay Matthews. You just put them on the field, they make plays. We get caught up in this, well, he's a, he's a linebacker. No, he's not. He's a football player. Brian Urlacher, he's just a football player. But, you know, when you're going to say no, define, you're defining who he is, that's where you make the mistake. Especially with defensive players now. You just put them on the field. They make plays. Troy Palomalu, what was he? He's a football player. Junior Seau, he's just a football player. Oh, no, is he a linebacker? Is he an ed- No, he's whatever you want him to be. And that's what Micah Parsons is. Just put him on the field. He makes plays. All right, we'll take a break. Phone calls coming up, and uh, Carson Palmer will join us, as he always does. We'll have more on what's going on with the Jacksonville Jaguars and Urban Meyer. Does he want to stay? Is he going to get the opportunity to stay? We'll talk about that. Also, is Ryan Day going to stay the head coach at The Ohio State? Thank you, Paul. Let it breathe a little bit. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Before we get to Albert Breer, senior NFL reporter, Monday morning quarterback, Here's Urban Meyer yesterday talking about the possible leaks inside the organization. What's the answer? Uh, Start leaking information or some nonsense? No, that's nonsense. That's garbage. That's, uh, you know, that's once again, I've been very blessed. I've not really dealt with that. I've, I've not dealt with, well, did you hear what he said? What? No, let's improve on offense and get our quarterback in a position to be successful. That's our focus. What? someone's brother said or someone said someone said that will that will occupy very little of my time and if if there is a source that source is unemployed i mean within seconds if there's some source that's doing it let's bring in albert breer on this topic albert how does this end i don't know i mean you know i i think it's interesting because it like I think the difference between what he had in college and what he has now is he can control the situation in college where if things were uncomfortable for assistant coaches and they were often uncomfortable for assistant coaches under urban at that level, um, he didn't have to worry about things like this, where, you know, I think the, uh, the assistant coaches, people in the building have relationships with the media. And if they feel like things aren't working and it's uncomfortable for them, they're willing to voice their issues. Um, and this is one thing that's pretty common and, and guys who coach for him at Florida guys who coached for him, at Ohio State to tell you he never wants to blame a player. He always blames the coaches. And hmm. he will hold meetings where he'll ask coaches to, 
what, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for our team lately? He'll go out to practice and he'll look at your drill and say, why are you doing that? And your answer can't be because we've always done it. And so, you know, I can tell you, I mean, like, you know, I've got relationships at Ohio state and, you know, when he left there and Ryan day took over, you know, a cloud lifted off the building to some degree because it had been such a tense environment. And part of the issue, Dan here is that, I think urban urban associates a lot of his success with that being able to create that tension. It's the same sort of tension you see Nick Saban create. It's the same sort of tension you see Bill Belichick create. It's just that in 2021, when you're starting a new program and you don't have the trophy case to back it up, and like NFL players don't care about how many national championships you've won. You go to New England, they do care about the Lombardies, right? Like, but they don't care how many national championships you might have won in college. And, you know, you're trying to start a program that's unlike what most guys come up playing in or coaching in now, um, and you ruffle some feathers, you, there's no guarantee that's staying inside the building. I know that we want to make this comparison with Jimmy Johnson and the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jimmy didn't win, but, you know, two years later, they're in the playoffs. Three years after that, then, you know, they're in the Super Bowl, winning a Super Bowl. Troy Aikman starting out, not, you know, eight touchdowns and what, 18 or 16 interception. Can you make any comparison between having the patience that the Cowboys had with Jimmy Johnson and Troy and Jacksonville having patience with Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer? I think it's a different, it's just a different age, you know? And and, and I think part of the issue that Urban's going to confront now is no matter whether this stuff is downplayed, exaggerated, real, not real, it's, it's going to be real for him now. Because he's going to have to answer questions about it. People in the building, you know, who have issues with him now essentially have license to go and say something about it because it does feel like things have gotten sideways there. And so the question becomes, how do you get out of it? Um, I think one of two things happens. Either one, he decides to walk away or the team decides to, to get rid of him after this year which I, you can't rule it out now based on, you know, where they are. But how expensive um, would that be? Very expensive. And that's made that that's why you wonder, like, would the would 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 Shad Khan try to get him to quit? So that's one, right? Or I, I don't see any other way that you would do it um if you were gonna keep him than bring back an overhauled staff. And you know, I, I know that I can just tell you, having talked to people who are close to Urban, I think there I, I think they feel like there are some weak links on that staff and that they the way that they build their program is sort of built to weed people out. And I don't know if maybe some of this is coming from the fact that maybe there were some people who saw the writing on the wall here and that knew that, you know, in five or six weeks, they were going to be gone anyway. Um, You know, but, you know, the sense that I have gotten is that, you know, with some of the hires that Urban made, some of the NFL hires that Urban made, you know, not the guys like Charlie Strong or Chris Ash that he brought from college, you know, I, I think that he felt like there were some weak links on the staff. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not Shad Khan decides to double down on Urban and say we can fix this amid everything that's going on right now, which will require hiring new staff and paying out guys who you're firing, you know, walking out the door. Um, or do you decide that it's time to hit the reset button because you're at too critical a point of Trevor Lawrence's development. And um, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Cause I do think Trevor Lawrence remains sort of the key piece here. It's so important that they put him in the right position over the next couple of years. I want to be fair in talking about this next story. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. a report or a rumor, but Ryan day to the Chicago bears. Yeah. 
and his agent is Trace Armstrong, who played for yep. the Bears. So is there anything to this, in your opinion? You know, the, the rumors about Ryan Day and the Bears have been floating around for a while. I, I don't think Ryan Day goes yet. I think Ryan Day is eventually going to be back in the NFL. I think eventually he's he's because of the the rate at which he's developed quarterbacks, because he runs a pro style system, because he's coached in the NFL. Um, I think eventually Ryan Day winds up back in the NFL. Do I think it's now? No. Do I think the idea that Justin Fields intrigues him is part of this? Yeah, I think that's certainly something that's there for him because he knows, you know, this isn't him projecting what it'd be like to coach Justin Fields. He knows. I just I just don't know that the time's right for him right now. Um, I would have told you before the year is 0%. I think it's a little more than 0% now. But my guess is he stays in Columbus and he's there for a few more years, but eventually winds up in the NFL. And what's interesting about Ryan Day is when Urban Meyer decided to go to Jacksonville, I had a source say Ryan Day would be a better hire for Jacksonville <laughs> because he would develop Trevor Lawrence yeah. quicker and he knows the pro game better than Urban Meyer does. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, he well, for one thing, he's not like like I said that thing about like lifting the cloud off the building in Columbus, right? Like when it went from Urban to Ryan. And again, like Urban had a lot of success doing things that way. So I'm not trying to make it sound like it was the worst thing in the world, but the very, very tense environment. And it's a different environment there now under Ryan. So I think a lot of people would look at that and say, Ryan, the way Ryan Day's built a program is a lot more compatible to the athlete today, to the to to, to the guys who are coming into professional football. So that's number one. And then number two, like you said, I'm mean, Ryan's a scheme coach, Ryan's a developer of players. That's not really what Urban is anymore. Like when Urban was at Utah, he was a scheme coach. He was a receivers coach. He developed guys, you know. I think towards the end at Florida and then certainly at Ohio State, he'd sort of gotten away from that and had become more of a culture coach, had become more of a CEO. And so, you know, I think if you're hiring Ryan Day out of Ohio State, despite the fact that like those two are close and there's great respect between the two of them and everything else, they're vastly different. Like Ryan is going to... I think build more of a 21st century compatible program that players are going to identify with more. And then he's also going to bring the scheme and development part of it, which I mean, quite honestly, I think over the last few years, urban had subcontracted a little bit. Now he's still involved in offense. He leaves defense alone for the most part. He's still involved in offense. He still sort of views himself as, as an offensive coach. But I think, you know, like urban is way more of a kind of walk around head coach now than he was 20 years ago, whereas Ryan is still going to be the guy that's going to get in the weeds, coach the quarterbacks, and call the offense. He's Albert Breer, senior NFL reporter and lead content strategist for the Monday morning quarterback. More concerned about the Bills or the Ravens moving forward? This year? Like just in the yeah. microcosm of the yeah. next two months? Yeah. Ravens. I, and I, and I, I have so much respect for what John Harbaugh and that staff have done um, to keep that thing together. But the Ravens, like the Ravens have lost a bunch of guys who aren't coming back. You know, like J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Ronnie Stanley, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, L.J. Ford, like those guys are not coming back. And so I think they've done a fantastic job of duct taping that thing together. And you see the way the team responds to Harbaugh and the staff. That includes guys like Greg Roman and Wink Martindale down the line. I just... I mean, it just feels like they're sort of going on fumes right now based on what they've lost injury-wise. I actually think, I think the Bills found something in the second half of that game. And look, there are no moral victories for a team that's been in the playoffs three times in the last four years. 
but I think they were sort of a team without an identity against New England, and you still saw fight. And I think the first half of that game, that really kind of manifested the way that that got away from them. They had nothing to really lean back on. And then in the second half, I just, they ran the ball a little bit more. I think Josh Allen played more under control. The defense found itself a little bit. And so I actually think in the second half of that game and into overtime, the Bills found something. Like if they wind up running the table here, which if you look at their schedule outside of the New England game is pretty doable. And go into the playoffs as like the two or the three seed. Um, if New England slips up and make a run, I, I think there's a possibility, Dan, that we look back at that that game in Tampa yesterday as as a sort of turning point. I know it sounds crazy because they won 13 games and went to the championship game last year, but I really think that this was a team that had kind of lost itself over the last month, and I really think that they found something in the second half against the Bucs. I want to make sure I got this correct in what you wrote, and that is when Mac Jones comes up for his big contract. <laughs> like the rate could be $65 million a year. Is that what you, is that accurate? Dan, you know, I, you know, as well as anybody, when you go on the radio, you say a lot of things. <laughs> um. <laughs> Wait, are you, are you backpedaling here on I, 65 was a number. I'll, I'll put it this way. 65. There's stuff I report and stuff I say. And in that case, it was, I threw a number out there, but I do think like the, I, I do think quarterback salaries are going to continue to accelerate. And look, like, you know, we're sort of in this holding pattern, um, you know, from a, from a financial standpoint because of COVID. And next year is going to be the last year where the cap, I think, is really going to be affected. Now, that's obviously, you know, projecting that nothing worse happens. But, like, next year is going to be the last year that the cap's really weighed down by COVID. Then in 2023, you've got the TV money coming in. You've got the gambling money coming in. So that cap could jump to 230 or 240 in 2023. And then in 24, when Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Trey Lance and Mac Jones and all these guys are eligible for new contracts, that thing could be up at like 270, right? And just look at the last few years, okay? Jimmy Garoppolo signed his deal, what? I think it was four years ago now, right? We thought it was crazy that he was getting $27.5 million. We still Pat do. Pat Mahomes <laughs> is making 45, Dan. 45. That's how far the market's gone. So, like, I know 65 sounds crazy. Is it though? Because that market's jumped like that way over the last four years. So we look three or four years down the line when guys like Mac and Trevor Lawrence could be doing new contracts. And then you factor in the new television deals into the cap, you factor in the gambling money into the cap. It doesn't, it's not that hard to wrap your head around the idea of, you know, that quarterback number getting up to the 60, $65 million range. And the point I made was that if Jacksonville gets Trevor Lawrence going and then opens the vault and pays him 60, $65 million a year. Well, what do you think Mac Jones is going to be looking at if he continues to win for the Patriots? Micah Parsons, you know, it's one thing to say for rookie of the year, now defensive player of the year. And I'm wondering TJ Watt being banged up, Miles Garrett yeah. playing in meaningless games and Micah Parsons plays for the Cowboys. The likelihood Micah Parsons is your defensive player of the year. He's got real momentum. I mean, and I think if he keeps making these big play, these big splash plays that are turning games, like he owned the first half of that game. And I think, you know, for awards like this, where maybe people's eyeballs aren't on him every play of every game, like you need moments like that. And I, and I really thought coming out of Sunday, he was one of the stories of week 14 in the NFL as a rookie. And, um, you know, it was interesting because I talked to him and I talked to his defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, 
um, you know, last night. And, and, and one thing that DQ said to me was like, it's so unique that you have a player at that age who can handle what we're giving him. He's basically playing two different positions. And so they have him in the linebacker room, right? On Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays, but then he's coming in early on Wednesdays and Thursdays so he can do defensive end work. And so they have packages where he's a defensive end. They have a packages where he's a linebacker. Consider this, Dan, he's on pace to blow by Javon Curse's rookie sack record, right? Like he could get, I mean, like if you look at it, he could get to 16, 17, 18 sacks and he's not even a full-time defensive end. Like he's doing this despite the fact he's spending half the time dropping in coverage. So he's such a unique player. And, you know, I think he's grown up a lot over the last couple of years, which has allowed him to maximize his potential. But if Dallas keeps winning like this, I mean, you have that star on your helmet, you know how far that piece of it goes and you keep making splash plays in important spots the way he is. I don't see why we wouldn't look at him that way. Cause honestly, that's why I think we look at TJ Watt as the defensive player of the year. The leader coming into this week was because he kept making splash plays and important at important points of key games. That's exactly what you see Micah Parsons doing in Dallas. I'll leave you with this. I brought this up first hour that Aaron Rodgers looked great last night, but I look at the schedule at Baltimore, Cleveland host, Minnesota at Detroit. And do they rest Aaron Rodgers? Would they jeopardize home field advantage to rest Aaron Rodgers to make sure that he's healthy come postseason time? It's really tricky, isn't it? Like, and then, like, do you pick the opponent? I mean, they would never admit to that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you would never admit to we're picking the opponent for like when we're going to have surgery. And you, Minnesota Vikings, you're <laughs> the one we're picking. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but like, I do think that there's a smart way to go about this. And, if everything's about the championship, you know, I, I think you could tactfully pick an opponent and say, all right, like we're going to do this. Now, part of it could be determined. The tricky thing is part of like, do you let like what happens tonight within the Cardinals Rams game affect that, right? Like, do you let the outside forces affect that? I think that's what makes it tricky, but he said himself, like he could get the surgery on a Monday or Tuesday and potentially play that week. So if you wanted to game it up a certain way, you could definitely look at it and say, let's do this. Let's get the surgery. Let's have a quick hook with him. If he struggles on Sunday. Um, and let's see if we can build a lead in that game and get him out of the game. I could certainly see something like that playing out, or, you know, maybe they do look at it and say, it's worth it to have a healthy Aaron Rodgers going into the playoffs. Even if it means we might have to play a championship game in Phoenix to have him at 100% go when the playoffs start. Albert, thank you as always. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. That's Albert Breer, senior NFL reporter and lead content strategist for the Monday Morning Quarterback. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, it's Ben, host of The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller, along with my trusty sidekick, David Gascon. Would mean a lot to have you join us on our weekly auditory journey. You're asking, what in God's name is The Fifth Hour? I'll tell you, it's a spinoff of The Ben Maller Show, a cult hit overnights on FSR. Why should you listen? Picture, if you will, a world where we chat with captains of industry in media, sports, and more every week. Explore some amazing facts about human nature and more. Listen to The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
If you were the Packers, uh, would you rest Aaron Rodgers is the question. And 65% say no to start. Let me start there with Carson Palmer. Uh, Carson, Packers, let's say you had to pick one. They get home field advantage in the playoffs, but no rest for Aaron Rodgers. Or you rest Aaron Rodgers for a couple of games and he starts the playoffs completely healthy with no home field advantage. Well, I don't think it's a guarantee that if you rest Aaron for a week or two weeks or three weeks that he gets back to 100%. When you're talking about a broken bone and a foot, it could take a month. So at the end of the day, when, when you combine that with the fact that the Green Bay Packer home field advantage is probably unlike any other in the league. I mean, you got weather concerns that an opposing team has to come in. And that, that fan base doesn't sell their tickets. That fan base shows up to the game. They're not selling their tickets to potential opposing fans where they're going to lose some of that crowd noise. So I I think it's too important to keep that number one seed and keep that advantage in their favor. Explain this as a former quarterback of the pinky toe on his left foot, his plant foot, as opposed to his right foot. How does that affect your throwing? I I really don't think it should affect it that much. I mean, as far as, as today's, you know, with all the equipment and the things and the footbeds you can put, the orthotics that you can put in the shoe to really help protect that that pinky toe. I think that's going to be really nice. I'm sure that their training staff is on top of that, bringing in a consultant or a specialist that can create some sort of footbed in the shoe to protect it uh, as much as possible. But it, where it really limits him is when he takes off and runs. It's not so much the throwing. It's not planning and stepping and rotating into throws. It's when he needs to extend the play and get outside the pocket and take off on third down with his legs where the biggest concern will be. And also when you watch him throw, as you've talked about, you tell young quarterbacks, don't try to emulate Aaron Rodgers. He has so many of those off-balance throws. He's not really one of those, I'm going to step into a throw and plant with my left leg. No, he's got that Bryson DeChambeau swing where right at impact and right when the ball's coming out, a lot of the times his back foot is off the ground. He's already accelerated through the throw and gotten his hip through the throw and that foot comes off the ground. And like you're saying, with with these young quarterbacks, there's so many guys coaching, keep all seven studs. You have seven studs on each cleat, seven cleats uh, that are coming out of the bottom of, of the foot of the cleat. And we're always taught as youngsters is keeping those seven studs in the ground to get as much ground force as you can to create as much velocity in the throw. And so Aaron just does it different. I I still don't know how he does it. We need a physicist to come in and explain (laughs) it to all of us. But he very rarely has all seven studs in the grass. We asked this question earlier in the show. You could have Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow. Who do you want? I I would take Herbert right now. I mean, he is so special and so so different physically, athletically. He is so gifted. And I'm not saying anything about Joe that that he's not. I mean, he he doesn't have the velocity on and the RPMs on the football. He doesn't have um, the long ball ability with the touch that Justin's shown. Joe's got another set of traits that are that are spectacular. I mean, his confidence. Um, his knowledge of the game, his coolness and calmness in the pocket are spectacular. And, th- and those are outliers compared to other quarterbacks in the league. But when you just look at the raw talent and the raw athleticism of Justin Herbert, there aren't many like him. I mean, maybe Patrick Holmes is on the same level. Um, there's probably a- another guy or two that you can, when you watch them play, they do absolutely off the charts things physically. But right now, I think I think Justin Herbert has more athletic ability and, and more physical Uh, just physical rawness that you can't teach, you can't coach, you can't show a guy how to do. He just has it. Can a quarterback run too much? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, 
I, I grew up when I was coming up in the league, Michael Vick was a guy I loved watching play and still love watching his highlights. And, you know, he ran a lot and he took a pounding and it, it caught up to him at some point. And, um, you know, I, I used to joke around with him. I'd see him at different events. And even Vic, when he was running 4-1, he would always get that last couple yards going out of bounds. And it wasn't a, a bone-crushing hit, but he would just get shoved. And then there'd be a cameraman or a third down marker in his way. And he'd end up falling and rolling out of bounds and landing on his shoulder and his neck and his ankle. And just all these little incremental hits add up, especially when you talk about a guy going into year 8, 9, 10, 12, 15. So absolutely, I think you can run too much and, and take an unnecessary amount of pounding on your body. Yeah, I thought Michael Vick was a Bo Jackson-like talent, but he just didn't put in the time and the... I think he had God-given ability, and I don't... You know, unlike like Michael Jordan or, you know, athletes of that, like Tiger, they have that God-given ability, but they have this desire to be unbelievably great. And I always thought that, you know, Michael took it for granted that he was just athletically gifted and he could have been so much better. I, I never felt like that. Uh, and, and I don't know, you know, individual study habits of guys and can't comment on that, but um, I loved watching him play. I thought he was as unique a talent as any of us have ever seen. There may not be another Mike Vick, um, but I, I don't know as far as study habits and, and desire. Every time I've been around him, he absolutely loves the game. He knows the game. Um, and from coaches that I've been around, like Coach Mora and a handful of others, loved working with him and loved everything that, that he brought to the team. Watching the uh, Buffalo Bills, we're talking to Carson Palmer, watching the Bills yesterday, they kind of woke up in the fourth quarter. I don't know if they found something after they had something missing for the last couple of weeks here, but I just I don't know what their identity is, Carson. I don't know if they know what kind of team they are. What did you sense from what they did first three quarters to what they did in the fourth quarter? And is that going to change things in the last month? Yeah, it seemed to me like all of a sudden they realized, hold on, this we're, we're about to be maybe on the seventh, maybe the eighth spot in the AFC playoff picture. And all of a sudden they started showing up and playing. You know, I, I was so excited about watching this team this year, and I, I'm in the same boat. I don't know who they are. I've seen them lose to some teams they should not have lost to. I've seen them play unbelievable football, but the best teams this time of year, we're in December now. We're almost in January. This is playoff football team. You can't go into a playoff game and start playing in the fourth quarter, especially against the defending champs, especially against Bruce Aarons, especially against Tom Brady. You're going to get beat and you're going to get knocked out of the playoffs. So, you know, this team has, I really like Singletary, the running back. I really like Josh Allen. I really like the defense. I really like Coach McDermott. There's so many things to want to like and believe in but they've shown us just enough that we really can't trust them. We don't know who they are. And if they do find a way to squeak in, into the playoffs somehow, some way, if they show up like that against anybody on a, on a playoff day on Sunday, they're going to get beat like they did yesterday. How big is this game for the Cardinals and the uh, Rams tonight? Big for both. I mean, when you look at both, you know, both those conferences, the AFC and, and the NFC, the best divisions are on the West. You, you look at what's going on in the, in the NFC West, there's three teams maybe that can make the playoffs. And the same thing can be said about the AFC West. There might be three teams that can squeak in. So to get that number one seed, to, to know that you're in and know that when you do get to week 16, 17, 18, knowing that you won this division between these two teams that are playing tonight, you know you got that in the bag. Then you can start resting this 17th week and 18th week of the season and make sure 
whether it's Aaron Donald who's banged up or Kyler Murray with an ankle, it gives you that luxury of resting those guys if you know you have this division locked up. I've been holding off the obvious. You got the, the obvious? Well, you got the Heisman. Uh, not technically in, in my hands yet. It is actually at the College Football Hall of Fame. Okay, but, but they opened I, it. I, they found a way to open the Heisman. They found a way to open it. We've got it. Thank you, FedEx. It securely got there. We really appreciate everything FedEx has done. Really appreciate what your boys in the office have done, and, and it got home. Well, it didn't get home yet, but it got to safer hands than the Dan Patrick show. Yeah, and I felt bad. Um, and I was going to make an example of somebody, but I, I can't afford to fire somebody. So, I, you know, I know you wanted somebody disciplined, but I, I couldn't do it, Carson. Um, and no. We're I, sorry. We're sorry that I, you went through all of this and you, you got the Heisman case and you didn't even get to open it up for your, your big induction ceremony. Well, I, I did not want to see anybody disciplined. I love Fritz. I love Turby. I love Eric. Everybody is great. You guys are the best. And nobody deserves a discipline. At the end of the day, the Heisman got from point A to point B just like we needed. Yeah, and I do put some blame on you because you trusted us. True, true. <laughs> well, you're in this, you're in this like beautiful space, this little cozy den, this man cave, and I just feel like everything's so professional over there that I shouldn't have had to worry. And to be honest, I didn't worry. At the end of the day, it got there. It may not have got there the way we wanted or with any kind of timing at all, but it got there. Is the Heisman being sent to you? The Heisman currently is at the Hall of Fame for another, I believe, another couple months, and then it'll come back to me. And um, I, I think it'll come back with the key and, and in the correct box and, and hopefully all in one big piece. Yeah, but you put it in the garage. You didn't even have it on display at your house. Is it going to stay in the garage again? I don't know. It's I haven't had how long have you, did you end up having it for like two or three years? How long did you have it for? I don't I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you don't know how long we had it. <laughs> I, I'm gonna guess we had it for two years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Do you need it back? Well, I'd No, nah, I don't want to do that. Never mind. I mean I'd love Scratch to that. I would okay, all right. I would love to have it back. I mean it's a great conversation piece, but the number of people go, is that the real Heisman? We go Yes. What do you what do you think it is? And they go, "Why would he give it to you?" And I go, "I don't know, but he did." Um, we can and, work something out. Yeah. We'll and it, it looks like you're on the set of a Game Game of Thrones episode there. Like you got basement no, this castle. Is, yeah, no, this is just the basement uh the basement office. It is it is a little Game of Thrones feeling. You're right. It is that the wine cellar? No, it's just it's just the basement. It's the basement of the office. It's a beautiful staircase, and um, looks impressive. I could use a wine cellar, though. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, talk to Bledsoe. Bledsoe can help you with the wine. I love double back wine. He's doing. I, I have a bunch of his wine. It's fantastic. I do not have a wine cellar, but maybe I don't know. Maybe next time. Maybe if you guys want to put a little money into the infrastructure here, we can shoot <laughs> from the future wine cellar. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 what I want to do. We lose things. We don't buy things, Carson. We're not we're not going to help you with your basement wine cellar there. I wouldn't trust you or your crew. I, I agree. For me. I agree. By the no way, uh, the Urban Meyer Mike Vrabel handshake at the end of the game. A lot of people made a big deal about this. I, as a former player, is it a big deal that handshake after the game? 
It's not. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not. But the immaturity of some of the things that have happened in Jacksonville. I mean, when 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 it seems like you're not as mature as some of your players, you got a problem. I mean, it's just one thing after another, after another, after another. And it's not hard. You know cameras are on you. It's not hard to throw a smile or at least mouth the word good game and shake somebody's hand, especially somebody that you have a relationship with from the past and, and was on your team. But um, I know it's definitely – there's a bigger deal made of, of what actually happened. But at the end of the day, Coach Meyer just needs to – at least – don't you don't even have to say good game. You can just say – so that the cameras pick that up and, and, and leave your hand in the other guy's hand for another, you know, six or seven seconds to make it look somewhat genuine. But, you know, it, it seems that things have really gone south really quickly. Um, I know Shad Khan, you know, doesn't seem to have, uh, you know, a, a long leash on, on any, anybody that's come through that organization to get them right. I, I've heard tremendous stories about the ownership group. At some point, it looks like things are going to change there in Jacksonville. But but so you think if he just mouths good game and and just so it's the optics that we get to see this, then you're okay with Urban Meyer kind of going through the motions? I look at everything through the quarterback's perspective and, and the organization's perspective. And from my viewpoint as the quarterback, and you're a rookie, and Trevor Lawrence then goes into his presser on Wednesday morning and he's asked seven questions about Urban Meyer and the distractions and the handshake. Trevor Lawrence needs to be focused on the week 14 opponent. He does not need to be answering questions about his coach telling his, his staff they're losers, him not shaking a guy's hand after the game and just being professional. These are all distractions. These things add up. And especially when you have a rookie quarterback that's just trying to find his way and figure things out. The last thing he needs to do is be distracted by things that his head coach is doing either outside the game and after the game or off the field. So, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, when, when you look at it through the quarterback's perspective, that's the last thing that, that Trevor Lawrence needs to be worried about is, is in answering questions on Wednesday and Thursday after practice and Friday after practice. It, it's, it's just it, these things are mounting up and it has a negative effect on the future of your franchise in, in Trevor Lawrence. More concerned about Urban Meyer moving forward or Trevor Lawrence? Oh, Urban Meyer, 100%. I mean, tr Trevor Lawrence is – what he did at the collegiate level will give him a couple years to figure it out in the NFL. What he's done in a handful of games will give you a little more leniency. Now, there was the four-pick game yesterday that – those, those are some issues that they'll need to get over. But those are also things that young quarterbacks go through, and those are some of the growing pains. But Trevor, Trevor, in my opinion, has all the upside in the world. He's playing for – I know this organization has not been great since Shad Khan's taken over, but he's playing for a great owner that's willing to do what it takes to win and willing to spend what it takes to win. And so at the end of the day, when you combine raw talent that Trevor Lawrence has, and he's done it on a big stage – and Needless to say, that was college, and that was the BCS and, and, and the playoffs in college. And I know it's a different game in, in the NFL, but he's done it against the Alabamas and, the, and some of the teams in the SEC. It will soon carry over to the NFL level. So there is no doubt in my mind that Trevor Lawrence is going to stick around in this league for a long time. What's it like when you lose confidence in your coach? It's hard. It's hard. It's just, again, these are distractions. When, you, when you're worried about your head coach benching a player or, or – you know, not playing some of your best players to, to make a statement. Uh, when you're worried about having to answer questions all the time, like we just talked about, you know, at the end of the day, um, they're going to figure these things out. They're going to get better. If that's with Urban as the coach or not, 
it's the right ownership group. It's the right young talent. They're going to figure things out in Jacksonville. But did you go through uh, a period where you didn't trust your coach? I've been really fortunate. I played from, from Bruce Arians to Marvin Lewis to Pete Carroll. I've, I was very fortunate. I played for some great ones. I've seen some opposing players and talked to, to guys I played against that went through some very urban-like situations uh, with their coaching staff or their, their coordinator and no confidence in their coordinator, frustrations with their QB coach. I, I've seen it, and I've seen how that can just weigh you down, especially as a young player. So it absolutely can be a distraction. It absolutely can be an issue. And the right ownership group does the right, makes the right move at the right time. I wouldn't be surprised if, if we saw a different head coach in Jacksonville next year. But I wonder about Russell Wilson in that situation right now, Carson. Just feels like there's some frustration there. It does. Um, but I don't, think, I don't think that should directly be um, pointed on Pete Carroll. I mean, Pete Carroll's proven that he can win a Super Bowl. He's proven that he can build and, and construct a really good defense. He's... He started over. I mean, you look back at what Pete did when he first got there, and they somehow got to the playoffs, and Matt Hasselbeck was the guy. And then he built the Legion of Boom. Um, I, I don't think that Russell needs to be frustrated with, with the head coach. It looks like he's frustrated more with the organization. But it's tough. I mean, when you, when you talk about one of the best organizations in all of sports, like the Seattle Seahawks, you know, you can want out and you can want something different, but the grass is not always greener on the other side. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Always great to see you. Thanks again, buddy. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Dan. That's Carson Palmer.